Greetings and welcome to the audio etheric transmission, The Tales of Sage and Savant. Our tale stars Eddie Louise as Dr. Petronella Sage, Chip Michael as Professor Erasmus Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Mix Abigail Entwistle, and myself, Justin Bremer, as your humble narrator. If you want to learn more of the stories of Sage and Savant and the reasons why I record these broadcasts, you can pick up our book Transmigrations, available on our website and everywhere books are sold. We want to say thank you to the over 200,000 people who have downloaded our episodes. We have launched a Patreon where you can help support our endeavors and get exclusive access to additional content. Find us at patreon.com slash sageandsavant. This program, the second of a special two-part season finale, is entitled Off the Map. We are thrilled to feature the music of Crystal Bright and the Silver Hands. And now, without further ado, we bring you the tales of Sage and Savant. When last we saw our doctor, she had forcibly ejected the professor from the laboratory and locked the elevator, sealing him and Abigail out of her life, out of her work. Or so she thought. Petronella Sage should have learned by now that Erasmus Savant should not be underestimated. Oh, hello, Abigail. Still no release of the elevator controls, huh? Still locked. Well, Petra was more angry than I've ever seen her. Maybe we're expecting too much to hope her temper is cooled in just a few days. Professor, it has been 13 days. We are beyond the point where not only has she certainly run out of food, my creatures have as well. I cannot wait for her temper to cool. I have a feeling, frankly, it won't turn, unless you have left out any details. I fear this may be an irrevocable rift. Still... The animals should not be made to suffer by human folly. No, you're right. I have been fooling myself. I'll fix this. You know how to start the elevator. Then why didn't you just do so before? What? Uh Oh, no. Since Cunningham surprised her, Petra had a hard stop brake put on the elevator, the only control of which is upstairs. It's a knife switch, which means that even a reset of the electricity mains would not engage it. Manual reset only, I'm afraid. But you said you could fix this. Oh, I meant it's time I call in a favor and have the back stair revealed. The back stair? Don't you remember? The egress we found on the night of our first tour of the laboratory. I try never to think of that night. (laughs) Well, yes. Dr. Sage had the downstairs entry to that staircase walled off to prevent unwitting discovery of her laboratory. 
It was left openable as an emergency exit, though, yes? I have heard that you should never take an elevator during a fire. It would be nice if that was the case. Death has never frightened our Petra. Yes, that is her problem. Too little respect for the permanence of death. Right. Leave things to me, and I will have a doorway recreated. This may take a few days, as I'll want the workmen to come at night so that we don't risk exposing the doctor. She may not want to forgive me for questioning her methods, but there is still some chance of rapprochement. If we expose her in her research before she's ready, if she were to lose her career, that sin would be unforgivable. Savant was as good as his word, and soon there is a second concealed entrance to the attic laboratory. Abigail meets the professor in the second floor hallway across from a millefleur tapestry depicting a lady and a unicorn. This tapestry is often referred to by the name Amon Sul Desir, My Only Desire. The tapestry fills the wall from floor to ceiling. It is set off by a low wooden paling standing out from the wall by 18 inches. It is designed to keep hands of passing students and staff from accidentally touching the tapestry. Thank you for being willing to delay this until evening. I have turned in my final term paper, and now all I have left is a year of practicals and I will be a doctor of veterinary science. Congratulations, Abigail! That's very happy news indeed! <laughs> Thank you. Do not remember this tapestry hanging here? Yes. It is newly on loan from the Musée de Cluny from a special tapestry project the history department is undertaking. You manage that in four days. The past may be a vast country, but history is a small and tight-knit community. Right then. The coast is clear. Let me demonstrate how this works. Come, step over the polling. Here on the left of the tapestry, you see that stone that's th just that slight bit darker than the others? Yes. Place your palm flat against it and give a wee push. The girl does as he asks, and the stone depresses under her hand. We hear a hidden door sliding open, and a puff of air creates a small gap between the tapestry and the wall. Do not touch the tapestry itself. The oils from human hands can drastically accelerate an artifact's decomposition. Always bring along a pair of cotton gloves, or a handy device such as my cane. The professor gently lifts aside the heavy tapestry using the tip of his cane. He gestures for Abigail to step into the gap this has exposed. Giving one last glance down the hall to be sure they were not observed, he follows. Savant allows the tapestry to fall back into position flush against the wall, and they are plunged into a murky darkness. Oh, I should have had a light fixture installed on the stair. One minute, dear. There. That's better. Here, hold the match. Now, see the protruding stone? If I give it a push, just the correct spot, it will settle right back into place. That is ingenious! This is by far a better idea than a hidden elevator. Don't get me wrong, I can see the value of an automatic lift system, but this is clean, simple, and has the benefit of not trapping you in a flaming heap of metal should there be a fire. Ouch! Here, allow me. Sorry about the burns, Abigail. Time to see what Petra's up to, shall we? They trudge in tense silence up the long stair and emerge at the top in the one corner of the attic space that has not been fully converted to modern usage. 
As soon as they cross the threshold, Savant calls out, Petra. just in case his hunch is wrong and Petra is present in both flesh and spirit. Hello? Petra? When no answer is forthcoming, they search the immediate space. Dr. Sage has removed most of the junk from the deserted classroom, including the pile of brass spittoons. I still find it incredible that it was once standard classroom practice to keep containers for public spitting in the rank and file of the desks. Hmm. Uh, but she has chosen to keep the skeleton. This wired collection of actual human bones stands lonely sentry over a single narrow bed, incongruously covered in a cheerful pink silk duvet heavily embroidered with pansies in vibrant colors. This is her bedroom? When she said she had it set up for a bedroom for herself, well, <laughs> I just didn't think to check to see if it was an actual comfortable space. I also didn't think to check it in our previous search. Ah, oh, you can't be blamed for respecting the privacy of a lady's bedchamber. It is not surprising at all that we didn't think to invade her personal space when we were searching for indications of how she was spending her work days. The natural ethics and morals of society contribute to humans engaging in herd behavior. For example, automatically respecting the sanctity of a personal bedchamber. Oh, yes, but Petra's always been a maverick, and I will need to think more like she does to save her. I was thinking of my loss, the loss of my friend and confidant when I challenged her. All she saw was one more in a herd of braying asses telling her how she can or cannot do science. Yes, it might have been better to base your argument on the thoughts of the great philosophers rather than your feelings and fears. Petra has always enjoyed a brisk philosophical debate. Nearly as much as she abhors talking about her feelings. <laughs> cool heads prevail, eh? Not that we could consider Petra Sage even-tempered. Still, I'd brush up on what the philosophers have to say about rashness and empathy for fellows. That is sage advice. Shall we begin our search? Yes. Let's go see where Petra is now. They venture into the greater laboratory and find Petra on the slab, wired for an extended journey. Her destination is somewhere middle USA. Minnesota? Wisconsin? I'm sorry I do not have as many patterns memorized as the doctor and Abigail do. The time trajectory is 2014. Two things are surprising. The first is that there is no recall set. The second is that she has made another adaptation to the CRAP helmet. It now sports leather ear flaps that fit securely against the ears and are held in place by a chin strap. Each ear has a tube leading from the flap to connect to the base of the plinth. Do you think she forgot to set the recall? Or did she do it on purpose and is blocking sound to prevent being recalled involuntarily? Maybe? But what if the fluid tubes? Those would certainly not help if sound stoppage was the intended use for those flaps. And yet the ears need no fluid. This makes no sense. Is there any fluid in the tubes? Now that you mention it, no. Just air. Is she experimenting with air pressure? That could be dangerous. A contained airflow under compression could cause massive damage to the ears. Ruptured eardrums, complete hearing loss. These are rubber tubes, so it's pretty safe to say she's not routing electricity through them. Not unless she's broken the laws of physics. Rubber is an insulator, not a conductor. Well, for now, the most logical thing to do is assume these are somehow stopping the vibration of the recall system from reaching her brain. 
and search. We need to find her notes and discover what we're up against. Well, I should check on my creatures. Why don't you open the locked room and I'll join you in just a moment. This seemed a good plan, only the locked room is no longer locked. The previous disarray has given way to neatness and order. The floor is newly swept and free from discarded paper. The surfaces are all tidy and spotless. Even the closet no longer contains the basket of flayed brain on glass. There is nothing here. What do you mean, nothing? She cleaned up. It's all gone. The brain, the Edison cylinders, the journals, the notes, everything. What do you think she did with all of it? There are a couple of possibilities. First, that Petra has repented, reformed, and simply forgot to re-engage the elevator. But my guess, she destroyed what wasn't pertinent and moved the rest into her greater storage system. She most likely has made concession to some type of coding to help identify the secret stuff. What better way to throw us off her scent than to make it look as though she has complied with our wishes and abandoned the more problematic areas of her research? So what now? Can we check if she has an Edison recording on the current outbound? Oh, good idea. It is a good idea, and to their great pleasure there is an Edison cylinder on the recorder. They quickly transfer it to the second machine for playback. Laboratory, Dr. Petronella Sage, King's College, 14 May, 1896. Calypso was right. The libraries of the future are treasure troves, with librarians on standby to help you find the answer to any question. I transmigrated to New York City circa 1998 and, once I recovered from the overwhelming depth and breadth of that great city, made my way to the public library. It is a remarkable palace built to house the world's knowledge. If I were to die and find my way to heaven, this is what it would look like. Vast caverns filled with knowledge and cheerful employees anxious to help you find the answers you seek. But I digress. The librarian provided me with a list of names, dates, and places I need to continue the work, and it is this list I follow now. Due to complications stemming from the spiritual state of the transmigrationist, I could not return with a written list, so I've created a Greek list which is Van Gogh, Young, Poe, Roosevelt, Carroll, Dickens, Nelson, Joyner, Boyle. The mnemonic is very young people run carelessly downhill, neatly jumping boulders. Very young people run carelessly downhill, neatly jumping boulders. Van Gogh, Young, Poe, Roosevelt, Carol, Dickens, Nelson, Joyner, Boyle. Mnemonic devices are good memory age. I will now follow this list to achieve a broad enough data set to prove my theories. What do you think it means? I recognize some of those names. Poe and Carol in particular stood out. She's chasing epileptics. But where? When? Four of the names on the list might have been the famous people we associate them with, but they might not. I'm sure there have been numerous people with the surname Van Gogh, for example. Is she just leading us on a wild goose chase? It's hard to tell. Maybe your journals will have some clues. I think we're going to have to begin a detailed search of all files. Will Savant and Abigail figure out what the doctor is up to? We'll find out after this short musical break. And now, dear friends, we invite you to listen to the talented melodical expressions of Crystal Bright and the Silver Hands. 
When we left our story, our friends were searching the file drawers and shelves in the laboratory, combing for clues to the doctor's plans. They worked into the dead of night, but found nothing definitive. Finally, they gave up and left the laboratory, vowing to start again in the morning. Do we turn the elevator back on? No. Uh, Petra does not know the stair access has been re-established. Better to keep a secret entrance and not send her into further hiding. Hmm. That makes sense. I think I'll just nab an emergency candle or two to light the way and keep at the bottom of the stairs. Capital idea! I think the college is haunted, you know. Who? Kids, gullible adults, the superstitious type in the village. They see strange flashes of light and glowing patterns on the clouds. They wonder and talk. Is there any danger of the lab being discovered? Not so far. Nobody listens to the children, and the only adults talking about it are not deemed trustworthy. When we first came into the space, Petra was adamant we use as little electricity after dark as possible, only transmigrating in broad daylight using candles and the old gas lights after dark and so as not to attract the attention of the locals, who would, in turn, tell the college. Well, evidently she is relaxing her vigilance. After you, my dear. The weary pair retired to their beds, agreeing to meet first thing in the morning to resume their search. But if our heroes were hoping for clarity in the morning light, they were sadly disappointed. As am I. I am sorry to report that I once again have lost entanglement with the doctor. We at least have a theory for how that is happening. It seems Petra is using the hidden transmigration table in Paris to take short hops out of the SBMI but not back into her own body. When she returns to Charles, our entanglement is broken. It is unknown at this time whether she is doing this knowingly to interfere with my ability to track her movements, or whether this is just an unfortunate side effect of her actions. Attempts to counter this on our end have thus far proven ineffective. I am sorry for the complication, ladies and gentlemen, and apologize for any inconvenience it causes. So yes, Abigail and the Professor have been unable to discover the exact nature of the Doctor's plans, but Abigail did discover one interesting clue. Hmm. The Edison tubes are out of date order. I'm sorry? These Edison recordings, they are in the wrong slot if you look at the pencil date on each sleeve. Oh, well, let me see. Hmm. I wonder... The professor takes a look at the cylinders Abigail thinks are out of place, then takes a step back and contemplates the entire shelf. Yes, oh, that might be. She's divided the shelves into three 8x8 eight eight grids. I've not seen it done with numbers before, but 
Maybe it's not numbers. Maybe she's using the nihilist method to encrypt the month and date spelled out. Abigail surrenders the Edison cylinders to the professor and turns her attention to the file drawers. There are stacks of composition books, and she soon notices that some books bear the same eight-digit date codes she was seeing on the Edisons. Professor, I found a journal book with an eight-digit date that matches one of those cylinders. What's the number? One five six three seven four two eight. One five six three seven four two eight. One five six three seven four two. It's not a date, by the way. Mm-hmm. There's no way to string those digits into a coherent day and month or month and year pattern that would coincide with the dates Petra has been investigating scientific pursuits. If they are not dates, what are they? <sighs> I think it's a cipher. Most specifically, it looks like it might be Russian in nature. The Nihilist transportation, to be exact. It's a 10 by 10 max system. We have eight months on our two-year term here at King's. Yes, I think that's it. She simply encoded the shelves and placed the canisters thusly. I wonder why she didn't encode the journals, however. Can you read me something out of that journal, Abigail? Uh, I shall visit Rogers first. The future subjects are by necessity required to remain in my memory as there is no method I have yet devised to allow me to carry future knowledge to my past. See Edison 15637482. Oh, I have that one here. Let's play it. Laboratory of Dr. Petronella Sage, 8th April 1895. Today, the professor and I shall travel five decades into the future. Cladney at B5, as always, the recall chimes are in Aeolian mode. Recall is set for four days from now. Since we are going into the future, we will be observing rule number three and remind ourselves that future tech may be admired, but not recreated in our own time. Hmm... That one is from last year. Has she done a reverse cipher? The professor gets lost in decoding the cipher Petra has put on her filing system, and Abigail, realizing that her expertise is not needed at the moment, retires to the menagerie. It is perhaps time she begins to look for alternative housing for her creatures. Rather than suffer the trials of code breaking in real time, I believe we will pause for a word from our creators. Hello, listeners. A major theme in the Tales of Sage and Savant is loyalty and friendship. We'd like to take a moment to say thank you to our loyal listeners and friends of the show. And now we'd like to ask you for your support in an all-new way. Join us on our Patreon server, where you'll get behind-the-scenes information, insight into our characters, sneak previews of scenes from upcoming books, or chat with us on the Podcast Junkie Discord server to discuss all things Sage Sage and Savant. As has become Sage and Savant tradition, this is the second of a special two-part season ender. Things are looking pretty dark right now, but trust us, there's light at the end of the tunnel. The first episode of season four premieres on the 1st of August. We've got a long ways to go till we see that light at the end of the tunnel, but trust us, Erasmus and Petra, they'll find a way. Links to our Patreon, the Discord server, and our novels are at sageandsavant.com. And once again, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. And now, back to our show. 
It took a couple of days for the professor to break the cipher. In the meantime, unbeknownst to our heroes, Petra had returned to the laboratory in the middle of the night, repositioned her trajectory, and once again ventured off in search of her goals. I was sleeping at work overnight, don't ask, and had wired into the system for sleep as I had before in hopes of connecting with Petra. A sharp tug on my consciousness has just brought me to a waking state. At first I thought it was only a dream, but the screen showed Petra arriving to her home laboratory as I have described. I am hoping that I will now be able to follow her on her journey forth. Petra sets the trajectory, resumes her place on the plinth, and takes up the Edison speaking tube. Laboratory, Dr. Petronella Sage, 20 May 1896. The journey into the subject was entirely fluid and without trauma this time. I did not know if it was because Nelson was such an accommodating and accepting person, whether it is because he was in horrible pain and therefore on a large dose of opiates, or whether I'm learning how to dive into other minds without causing trauma. Whatever the case, I believe these questions shall be answered by my completion of the remainder of the list. Very young people run carelessly downhill, neatly jumping boulders. I've checked off neatly, now I progress to jumping. And with that, she fills the night skies with flashes of light as the lightning envelops her body and she is borne away on a blue nimbus. She awakens in a hospital bed in the body of a teenaged victim of a car accident, but before she can take any life-saving actions, she fades from my awareness. Damn! Uh, my entanglement with the professor, however, remains strong, so we shall return to the laboratory. The professor sits slumped over at the desk behind a pile of cipher workings. Page after page of 8x8 grids, the ones on the bottom of the stack filled with numbers and those on the top layers with letters of the alphabet. Savant's snores blend comfortably with the dawn chorus from the menagerie, and the scene is so peaceful it is almost possible to imagine ourselves in the halcyon early days in this laboratory, when all was excitement and possibility. Good morning, Professor. Did you crack the code? Startled, Erasmus sits up quickly and sends the stacks of papers falling to the floor. What? what? Uh, oh, yes. Oh, no, no. Uh, oh, uh, partly. Uh, oh, decoding a nihilist transposition to an eight-square grid without a key... Is a big uh, job? To make a rather egregious understatement... I have one date unearthed. It's from last month. Duval again. I believe it's the final time she visited. I left it on the Edison for you. Abigail does as he suggests. Laboratory, Dr. Petronella Sage, King's College, 26 April, 1896. I've just returned from my last visit to Claude Duval. The highwayman has become increasingly hostile to my presence, and this makes him untenable for occupation. The man is violent, patriarchal, and closed-minded. I'm happy to continue my experiments on the Misters Poe and Dodgson, although I would prefer to see if women are easier and quicker to accept co-apperceptive transmigration. To this end, I had a conversation with Sly Calypso, who suggested I consider a trip to the late 20th century to visit a public library in a major city. Here, she says, I will find many answers, the first of which is a list of famous sufferers of epilepsy, including their addresses. The work continues. 
she is blatantly violating the rules we established. She is purposefully and methodically, one by one, setting them up and knocking them down. We have to stop her. How do we stop her? I have patently failed at this. What do you suggest? Why is she so obsessed with co-apperception? If we understood that, perhaps we could understand how to break the grip of it. I wonder if we're looking too close to home. Maybe the seeds of her obsession are buried deeper. When did you first notice strange behavior? Um... Cunning! Ham! It all comes back to her fear of being stopped by men. That is why she has pulled Calypso so deep into her trust. But she trusted you before. Why has she not maintained that? I am too naturally cautious. And I agree with you too many times. I thought Petra knew I was always on her side. You cannot help that you are a man. There are things about your world that will seem entirely normal. As if... That's just how things are, but that is not how they are. That is how they're designed to be. And Sage is right to point out that your convictions do not always acknowledge her viewpoint. Women like Petra fight the design. You cannot help if that means you sometimes feel she's fighting reality. And yet you agree with me. I also agree with her. What? How? We are doctors, Erasmus. Medicine is a field that by its very nature learns more from horror, tragedy, and accidents than careful measured experimentation. And even when we are careful and measured, mammals in general and humans specifically have systems that are so complicated we are barely scratching the surface of what we need to know to do medicine without harm. What Petra says is correct. If a doctor could enter a patient's mind, feel what hurts and how that problem responds to treatment, it would vault the medical sciences forward by stupendous amounts. And if that can be done without causing pain, then why is the discovery of that required to be any less gruesome than that which led to full limb reattachment? Is Petra's co-apperception really any worse than a bone saw? I see. It is possible to hold the two things precious at once, Erasmus. Consent is a vital and necessary thing. Improving the form and function of our medical practice is also vital and necessary. We must always try for balance. You are wise beyond your years, Abigail. (laughs) No, I simply have the gift of observant youth, and that is ever how the human race proceeds. How would you propose we speak with Petra when and if we find her? First and foremost, we acknowledge her medical ambitions as valid. Then we discuss the issue of consent and ask what she might propose to solve the tension between good and evil. And then we listen. We listen. Well, I guess I should suit up so you can send me to Minnesota or Wisconsin or wherever you think she's gone. I'm coming with. But you hate transmigrating. I love my friend more. I can hold these two seemingly opposed ideas in mind and make my choice accordingly. And so our heroes suited up and entered the trajectory to follow their friend through the ether into a brave new future. Will they succeed in winning back their friend? Will Petra rein in her temper or her ambitions? Will transmigration pave the way to a deeper understanding between peoples? 
We'll find out in the next episode of The Tales of Sage and Savant. The Tales of Sage and Savant is a Twin Star production, brought to you on the first of each month from our Southern California studios. Starring Eddie Louise as Sage, Chip Michael as Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Abigail, and Justin Bremer as the narrator. Soundtrack music, sound design, and audio engineering by Chip Michael. The theme song for season three was interpreted and recorded by Valentine Wolf. Special music in this episode was provided by Crystal Bright and the Silver Hands. Check them out at crystalbrightandsilverhands.com. Episode 310 Part B was written by Eddie Louise. Are you interested in the historical and scientific information we included in this episode? Like us on Facebook or check out our website sageandsavant.com to find the facts behind the fiction. And finally, as always, we urge you to remember that death is no barrier to science.